0: What's good boys and girls, welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. Today is Monday the 20th of September, we're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network which allows you to go online, change your location and access anything you're geoblocked from while also keeping your data safe. LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find by downloading the Etsy app to your phone and searching them there, or you can find them on their own individual websites. Right, folks, uh, busy weekend in the Premier League, quite a mental weekend in the Premier League, and my inability to predict games Continues to be absolutely astounding. Uh, We'll get started with Friday night. Newcastle won. Leeds won. This was a good game of football. Newcastle, to their credit, played some exciting football. All of it centred around Allen St. Maximum, obviously. It was clear that the crowd was a little bit hostile to Steve Bruce, which is understandable. It was clear that the crowd was apprehensive, which is understandable. But as the team began to play, the Toon fans really showed good support, I thought. Leeds played well, and Leeds went one up after a a Rafinha cross from the right-hand side, left-footed a brilliant dummy by Rodrigo, threw Carol Darlow off, and the ball found its way into the net. This is why assists and things like that really annoy me. Rodrigo will get no credit for that goal, but his dummy makes that goal. His dummy is far more important to that goal than, say, Paul Pogba's pass to Bruno Fernandes last weekend for Manchester United. This is why assists are a bad stat. They're a bad way of viewing someone's involvement in a goal or an action. What Rodrigo does is excellent. He times his run really well. He angles his run really well. And he judges the flight of the ball. And he gambles. And he just jumps the ball. And Darlow freezes. And Leeds find themselves one up. St. Maximum really seemed to take umbrage with that. And went in a one-man crusade. Where... He set up a good chance that Almiron fluffed, and then it fell to Jolinton, who probably should have done better, but he did work the goalkeeper. Mellier made a good save. He would make a couple of really good saves in this game. Um, Matt Ritchie hit the post before St. Maximum made it 1-1. How he gets his shot away, I don't know. He's surrounded by Newcastle defenders, and he just keeps moving his feet, moving the ball, moving his feet, Works a little bit of space, shoots back across himself, the goalkeeper's not fully set. Melier will be a little bit unhappy with himself, I think, because it doesn't it doesn't nestle in a corner. It's quite central, but because he shot when the goalkeeper wasn't wasn't expecting it, because it was unpredictable, Melier just couldn't get down in time. Newcastle deserved to be 1-1 though. That's worth repeating. It Newcastle deserved to be level going into the break. The second half, again, I thought was very, very even. Leeds had some good chances. Darlow made a couple of good saves. The best save he made was actually from one of his own players—a a header that got flicked backwards, and Darlow clawed it out of the top corner. Melier likewise made some really good saves. One great one at his near post from again Saint Maximin. Uh, junior Fierpo should have scored. That was first half actually. Fierpo should have scored, and the ball came to him. About eight yards out. But he lashed it over the top of the bar. Um, Bamford probably should have scored for Leeds late on. But I do think it would have been unfair on Newcastle if they'd lost this game. I I thought the tune played well. I thought Leeds played well. It was a really entertaining game of football. Rafinha we know is a standout player in this league. But to maximum if he can continue to be consistent. He absolutely can be as well. He's a player probably deserving of a bigger stage, you just wonder how he would do if he was being asked to be more of a a team player, be part of a system rather than kind of being the system as he is at Newcastle. But at 24, with that level of talent and potential, if a manager can harness it correctly, and look, hopefully it's at Newcastle. Hopefully whoever comes in for Bruce when he eventually moves on can really harness that ability and even if the team and the system continues to be built around him, if you can get a higher caliber of secondary threat, and you know get Callum Wilson back, and then maybe get one more who can add goals to Wilson and Willock from midfield. That can be something Newcastle can build with. All things considered, it was a really good start at the Premier League weekend, with two teams playing good football when, you know, both have had bad starts to the season. Both of them find themselves in the bottom four. Um, Newcastle third from bottom with two points from five games. Leeds fourth from bottom, three points from five games. Neither of them have won a game yet. They are two of the five sides yet to win a Premier League match this season. But I thought both played with confidence, both played with desire and ambition. And that's a good thing to see. Uh, moving on then into Saturday. Wolves nil, Brentford two, Ivan Tony show. Ivan Tony is is a top end striker. He's not a world class striker like he's not Harry Kane, but I could see him in the next the next 12 months developing into you know the same type of level we think of Calvert-Lewin and Tammy Abraham being at. I think he's a, a more talented player say than Ollie Watkins who had a really impressive first season last year. I just thought he he showed everything that you want in a, in a striker. Really good composure. Won himself a penalty. What Marcal was doing, I don't know. Like trying to hug him and rugby tackle him and do whatever it was he was trying to do at the time, and then seemed aghast that a penalty was given. Tony steps up, very nonchalant, very confident. Great penalty. Tony hit the ball in the net a second time, but was ruled to have handled the ball. He then made their second goal. Really good work down the left-hand side. Picks out and Bomo really well. And Bomo's movement and timing of his runner excellent. First time finish two 0 and deservedly so. Wolves had chances in the game. Um, one chance fell to Wang, and Asia made a great block. Adama hit the pole or the, the crossbar on a deflected shot, but. It was a little bit... like Wolves had 11 shots in the game, so not as many as they've had in previous games, but none on target. The Adama one hits the crossbar, so unfortunately it doesn't count as a shot on target, but their finishing is just so wayward and has been this season. It's really cost them. Like It cost them the win against United, who they should have beaten comfortably. It cost them a draw against Spurs. It cost them a draw against Leicester. They really are going to have to work on that. And Raul Jiménez... Still just doesn't look like he's anywhere close to being back. He's had flashes. He a good game um, against Watford. But there's a little bit of hesitancy. He's not. And I don't mean hesitancy when it comes to challenges or heading the ball. I mean, in terms of getting a shot away, his first touch looks a little bit heavy. He doesn't seem to have. He never had great pace, but he just seems a little bit labored in his running It'll all come back. He's been out for a long time. But for now, it's a little bit of a concern. But Mboma could have made it three. He hit the crossbar after some really good work. I thought Brentford were were great value for their their win. And what a really good start they've had to the season. Five games, two wins, two draws, and only one defeat. And that defeat was very unfortunate. That last-minute goal to Brighton. Eight points. They're, they're they're starting really well And credit to Thomas Frank He has them playing very very good football Like they're not a team who's come up To try and defend their way to survival They've come up to play They've come up to compete And it's been impressive so far So credit to them For Wolves You know three points in the five games so far Four defeats is a concern same as Burnley, one less than Norwich. It is a concern. They're going to need to sort something out. Defensively, they're not good enough. That's been an issue for a while. I've been highlighting that for a while. They just don't look like a good team defensively. And when you're not scoring goals and you struggle to defend, you are not going to survive in this league. It's as simple as that. They've got a bad goalkeeper. Connor Cody's not a good defender. Romain Sice is a midfield player. Kilman's okay, but they they need massive massive change in defence and I do wonder if maybe it's time to ditch the back four now the problem or to ditch the back three and go to a back four the problem with that is Connor Cody can't play in a, in a in a back four he's played there a couple of times and always looked poor at club level now he's played there for England and done all right but it's largely against tomato cans that you should be beating comfortably anyway. Um, I, I'd be quite interested to see maybe Willie Bolly and Kilman play as a two um, I'd also like to see the likes of Rayon Aitnuri and Kiana Hoiver get some games because they can't be much worse than Samedo and Mark Hall have been Wolves need to change things, they need to change them quickly uh, Norwich 1, Watford 3 I don't know what to make of Watford they look great some weeks like this one they can look awful when it clicks for them they really do look a threat emmanuel dennis has pace and power up front ishmael Assar is is just a problem for teams um benaventur who or that is emmanuel dennis sorry <laughs> who's playing up front for them josh king sorry josh king uh josh king's hold up play his ability to bring defenders bring defenders out of their positions and create spaces for Sar and Dennis to run into has just been a feature this year. And normally we see Josh King at Brentford and at Everton playing more as a secondary striker, but in this role with back with his back to goal, it's actually enabling him to show what a good first touch he is, how strong he is in the ball, how clever he is at picking out passes and with his movement. Josh King has started the season really, really well for them. and, Watford have had a surprisingly good start to the season I don't think there's any way that anyone could suggest they haven't had a good start to the season Norwich I'm concerned about I have to say um, you look at the the goals they conceded here and there's just defensive lapses like the Beneventure, Emmanuel Dennis Beneventure, his, his goal what is Grant Hanley doing Like, what is Grant Hanley doing? It's really poor defending. It's a great finish, but it's really poor defending. And they get cut open a couple of times. Sars pace is obviously a nightmare to deal with, and he runs in behind them endlessly. The second goal is just a really nice finish, really tidy bit of play by him. The third goal, we see Ozan Kabak playing, uh, playing Dennis onside. His shot is saved. Sar tucks it away, makes it three. Tim apuki had scored in the 35th minute for Norwich. Simple ball over the top, he ran on, he finished well. Watford's defence is going to be problematic for them this season. There's just no pace there. And the line always seems to be wavering. But going forward, Watford are really threatening with just with that pace in wide areas. And you'd wonder if they can get Joe Pedro into this team as well. Now, whether that will work, because obviously, like I say, King is playing very well. Whether Pedro can play off him, whether they'd be willing to do that, I don't know. Tom Cleverley had a decent, a decent outing here. I thought Kuka played well again in midfield. Whether he can keep it up through the season, we'll wait and see. But you know, him and Sissoko seem to have a decent understanding. Lots of graft, lots of effort in that midfield. With with Cleverley dropping in to form a three, and often a five with the two wingers dropping wide. For now. I do think Watford can be very, very happy with how they've started the season. I don't think there'll be many complaints for them. 11th in the league. Yes, they've lost three games, but they've won two. And if they can carry that on, if they can win two of every five games across the season, they will be safe. They will stay up. You know, that will give them, should give them 42 points across the season. That'll be enough to keep them up um it's often said that you're better off to lose 3 out of 5 and win 2 out of 5 than to draw a bunch of games in this league say you know draw 4 and lose 1 out of 5 you've got 4 points win 2 and lose 3 you've got 6 points that's how city won the league a couple of years ago liverpool drew too many games city either won or lost rarely had a draw and now uh, Watford are taking the same approach this year um it's funny, though, because we see them on six points and you praise them because it's a good start. Leicester are a spot below them, same amount of points, but their start's been disastrous and we'll get to them. Next up, then, we have Burnley nil, Arsenal 1. Again, a pretty even game. I think Arsenal played some good football. A little bit fortunate to get away with the win. Um One really bad defensive lapse by Ben White early on. Ashley Barnes has to do better. Loads of space, loads of time. Could probably control the ball and have a shot. But heads it early and heads it a mile wide. Odegaard put Arsenal 1-0 up with a great free kick. From the edge, well, 25 yards out. Bent it round the wall into into the corner of the net. Very, very nice stuff. The 4-1-4-1 formation from Arteta... Did seem to work, got Arsenal an extra attacker on the field. But Thomas Partey isn't isn't that player, in my view. I don't think that gets the best out of him. Now, I did like seeing Pepe, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, Saka, and Aubameyang all on the pitch together, and all in adventurous areas. The back four, I thought, functioned quite well. Um, the two full-backs played really well, Tomiyasu and... Tierney both played really well defended really well centrally still shaky Aaron Ramsdale made a couple of half decent saves and then had a penalty awarded against him which thankfully was overturned common sense prevailed he clearly got the ball player went over all things considered Burnley will feel a little bit hard done by not have gotten at least a point um I thought Matt should have scored for them. He had one really good opportunity where the ball came to him at the back post. But it was a fairly weak shot that Ramsdale dealt with. But Arsenal will be happy to get out of there. They had a number of complaints. Uh, the gra- the grass being, being dry and the grass being long and all this kind of stuff. I don't know how teams are, are surprised by this. This is how Burnley operate. And they operate within the rules. They don't break any rules at all but Burnley operate within the rules of the game and teams just have to deal with it. Simple as that teams just have to deal with it. Um, I did, I did think that the, the changing rooms that Burnley gave Arsenal were quite funny, but obviously with COVID and I think they're, aren't they renovating parts of turf more as well? So that might've been something to do with it as well. So, Look, all things considered, it's a good win for Arsenal. It's another concerning defeat for Burnley, though, because their start of the season just has not been good. Uh, one point from five games. Now, we remember last season, they had a terrible start as well. At least this season, they're not being cut adrift. They're only you know two points from Leeds, who are 17th. Two points from Wolves, who are 16th. Three points from Southampton, who are 15th. They're not being cut adrift. One or two wins in the next couple of games will turn things around for Burnley. Uh, they do have Leicester in the league next, which will be tough. But then they get Norwich at home. They go to City. They go to Southampton. Then they get Brentford at home. They've actually got a difficult couple of months coming up. But then it'll it'll even itself out. As everybody knows, you play every team twice. So it does even itself out. Even if you have a tough run, eventually you'll get an easier run. And I would always back Sean Dyche to keep his team in the Premier League. For the Gunners, second win of the season, second win of back-to-back games. It'll help build confidence. It'll help relieve some of the pressure of Mikel Arteta. I thought it was good to see him making a tactical switch for this one and going to a more adventurous setup, being a little bit more positive and relying on your defenders to defend, which, you know, for too often... He's been kind of relying on his midfielders to do a lot of his defensive work. This time he relied on his defense. He got a clean sheet. There's still some work to do. Like I said, Ben White's positioning was really poor on that Ashley Barnes chance. And if that goes in, it's probably a different game. But it didn't. They get out there with the win and the clean sheet. And the Gunners can move on. Uh, Manchester City, nil. Southampton, nil. In, I think, probably the biggest surprising result of the weekend. And what was even more surprising is that City got very, very lucky in this one. Very, very lucky. It was a fairly even game. City had 16 shots, but only one on target. Southampton had 10, with two on target. Southampton were awarded a penalty, and Kyle Walker was sent off. A blatant foul on Adam Armstrong. And somehow the referee went and looked at the the screen and decided to reverse his decision and not give the penalty. It is a blatant penalty. One of the most obvious stonewall penalties you will see all season long. And somehow he reversed his decision. Kyle Walker was laughing coming back on because he knew he'd gotten away with it. He knew it was a penalty. He knew he should have been sent off. And somehow the referee saw fit to overturn it. Bizarre. City were flat in attack. I didn't like the front three with Jesus on the right and Sterling through the middle. Why are you doing that? Jesus is a nine and Sterling is world class on the right of the front three. Why swap them? It made absolutely no sense. And neither of them had good games. Neither the Jack Grealish, another poor game from him. That's three of his five Premier League performances so far, have been very poor. City's midfield didn't function particularly well without De Bruyne. Ruben Diaz looked a little bit all over the place at times, including in that penalty incident. This was a surprisingly bad performance by City. They almost won it at the end. Um, I can't remember who had the initial shot, but McCarthy. Oh, it was Phil, Phil Foden's header. McCarthy makes a great save. Raheem Sterling puts home the rebound, but Sterling was offside from the Foden header. They need to get Phil Foden into the team more, and they need to hope De Bruyne is back fully fit soon, because he, he clearly is not. Came off the bench in this one. He still looks a little bit hobbled. But we'll give him time, and I'm sure he will get back to fitness soon. But this was this is a bad dropping of points by City. You can understand losing away at Spurs. That's not a bad result. This is a bad result for City. This is the type of result where you're you're losing ground on your rivals. You're now three points behind Liverpool, uh, Chelsea, and United. You'll make it back up, but you can't afford many more of these. You can't afford many more games where you drop points and they all win in the same weekend. Now, I believe Chelsea play City next weekend. Is that correct? Yes, Chelsea play City at Stamford Bridge in the early kickoff on Saturday, which will favour Chelsea. That promises to be a and That starts a really difficult week for City. They play Chelsea, then they play PSG away, and then they play Liverpool away. That is that is going to tell us a lot about Man City. That really is going to tell us a lot about Man City. They're playing the other two of the three best teams in the league, both away and Paris Saint-Germain away. We will know a lot about this Man City team. Come seven o'clock on Sunday, August the 3rd, we will know a lot about them and whether they're going to be able to contend to retain their title. If they lose both games, considering Liverpool play Brentford next, that will be problematic for City because Liverpool beat Brentford and then beat City, and Chelsea play City and then Southampton at home. So if City were to lose both games, they would end up nine points behind, in all likelihood, nine points behind Liverpool and Chelsea at this early stage of the season. That's not where you want to be. It really isn't, because Liverpool and Chelsea don't look like teams planning to drop a whole lot of points this season. For Saints, it's their fourth draw of the season. They're yet to win, win a game, but four draws from five... Five outings is, is still pretty good. But you see what I mean about them and Watford. Watford have lost three times. Saints have only lost once. But Watford are two points up on them in the table. They've got the same goal difference. So you, you've got to ap- appreciate what Watford are doing. But at the same time, that happened have been really difficult to beat. I thought Salisu really impressed when he came on. Uh, it was good to see... Uh, Bednarak getting the start, and when Salisu came on, I thought that partnership worked well. Um, I'd like to see it with Walker Peters at right back and Perot at left back. Perot was rested for this when Walker Peters played left back, and uh, Livermento stayed at right back. I, I want to see Walker Peters, Bednarak, Salisu, Perot. I-, I think that's the midfield that's going to be the strongest, or the back forward is going to be the strongest for them. I'd particularly like to see it with um, with Gineppo. In for Redmond on the left wing, and the, the rest the same. I try that once, and I, I think you might fall in love with it, Ralph. Um, you won't win every game because you said Hampton, but I, I do think you'll get some some real joy out of it. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we have five more games to get through, and we have some some Gareth Crooks related laughter. I'll, I'll see you in a bit. Right, welcome back. So, uh, next up we have Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace nil. The scoreline makes it appear more comfortable than the actual game did. Now, Liverpool were the better team and deserved the victory. But 3-0 does flatter them a little bit. Palace had a couple of good chances in the game. Uh, the early one was kind of a not really a chance so much as just a freak situation where Alisson had to claw it back off his own line. Um, Benteke hit the post with a header when he really should have done better I know he was flagged offside but replays show he was onside so it would have counted they had the Edouard chance second half where he just takes a heavy touch he had a second chance there where Kanata gets back and makes a great block so they really did have some good chances in the game I thought Zaha was a bit disappointing for them now I do think he got somewhat frustrated in that every time he got the ball Liverpool just fouled him. Uh, James Milner committed, I think, five fouls in the game. Somehow didn't get booked. Jordan Henderson was booked for a foul on Zaha. There was a couple of others where he just got kind of bundled off the ball. I think he got frustrated. He was complaining a lot. It was a little bit disappointing because Palace played well. Conor Gallagher was excellent in midfield. I thought Edward, when he came on, showed why they bought him. Really good movement. The defence played really well. You can't really criticise them. They didn't concede any goals in open play. All three Liverpool goals came from corners. The first is a really good corner from Simicus. Salah makes a really good run. Loops the defence. Arrives at the near post. Good header across goal. Guaita makes a really good save. And Sadio Mane, who wasn't playing well at all, uh, managed to swivel, turn, and put it back the way it came and put Liverpool one up. That was after Diogo Jota had missed an incredibly easy chance. But I'm still not sure how he missed. Uh, the second goal, again, Simicus corner. Van Dijk rose highest. Kind of headed it onto his own shoulder and it dropped to Salah. And it's a brilliant finish by Salah, who's just a phenom. 99 goals in 150 Premier League games for Liverpool. When he gets his 100th, you will imagine it will be in the next 10 games. That will mean that when you look at Salah at Liverpool only, he will be the fourth fastest ever to 100 Premier League goals behind only Shearer, Kane and Aguero, all of whom are number nines. He's a wide forward. What he's doing is unprecedented. He's the best wide forward the Premier League has ever seen. It's not just the goals, it's the creativity as well. You look at his creative numbers, and they're comparable with Eden Hazard. You look at his goal-scoring numbers, and they're by far the best anyone's ever put forward in those positions, including Cristiano Ronaldo. And before anyone makes the nonsensical argument that Cristiano Ronaldo played wide in the midfield four, no, he didn't. He didn't his first three years, and in his first three years he was just a good player. When he became a great player at United, it was left side of a front three, Tevez on the right. Rooney or Berbatov in the middle. Sometimes Rooney on the right, Berbatov in the middle, and Ronaldo on the left. That's what it was. He played as an inside forward, same as Mo, but on the opposite side. and he just wasn't wasn't as proficient as him, wasn't as lethal as him. Didn't have the conversion rate. Certainly didn't have the creative numbers. Salah's the best to ever do it in the Premier League. Um, even even considering you know his time at Chelsea, which I think was. Was it two goals in 14 games or something like that? Um, he's still only Thierry Henry jumps him at that situation. And Henry played largely as a nine. So I know he drifted wide, but he start, his starting position was central with Bergkamp behind him and, and Bobby Perez off the left, Lumberg off the right. That was a phenomenal Arsenal team. That I, I still love watching footage of that Arsenal team to this day. Uh, Liverpool's third was an absolutely sensational goal. Another corner, headed clear, looped clear. And then it drops to Naby Keita, who's moving backwards and sidewards. It comes straight down out of the air on his left foot. He gets the perfect amount of dip and bend on it while controlling it perfectly. It's, it's one of the goals of the season. We won't see many better goals this year than that one, on his left foot. And the celebration is brilliant. The celebration is very similar to Cantona against Sunderland all those years ago when he scored that beautiful chipped goal. Uh, It was very, very similar. That sort of kind of cocky lift of the chin. Beautiful stuff. Absolutely beautiful stuff. Liverpool, good value for the win. Like I said, the scoreline did flatter them a little bit. Um, Aston Villa, three. Speaking of scorelines, flattering a team. Aston Villa, three. Everton, nil. Villa were the better team, and there's no taking away Villa deserved the win, but Everton weren't three goals worse than Villa on the day. Um, Villa stayed with the back three to between Konza and Mings. I'd imagine Konza's delighted to not have to carry Mings entirely by himself. Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins both started up front. Interesting in the game that they scored three goals and none of them come from from their strikers. Everton missing Calvert-Lewin, it's a huge blow to them. Tamari Gray playing behind Rondon. Uh, No Richarlis neither, obviously, at the moment. So, you know, when you're missing your two best players, you're going to have a bit of a tough time. But Everton gave a decent account of themselves and possibly should have scored at least one. But Villa go one up through Maddy Cash on 66. Really good goal, really well worked. Cuts inside, buries the finish. Three minutes later, Villa get a corner. It's a fairly wicked corner by Leon Bailey. It takes a flick off Dini's head and finds its way into the net. I don't know what Asmir Begovic was doing. Begovic had made a couple of good saves in this game as well, which is why this was particularly frustrating. And then six minutes later, Bailey again breaks in on the left-hand side, heads the ball in front of him, and unleashes... Absolute hellfire from his left foot. You will not see a ball struck better by anybody other than Erling Haaland this season. It flies off his foot. And you could have put two goalkeepers in. If the ball had hit Begovic, it it would have injured him. If it had hit him in the face, it would have knocked him clean unconscious. It was struck so viciously. It's a great goal. But 3-0 flatters Villa a little bit in this game. It must be said, Everton weren't three goals worse. So while Everton fans, I saw some of them say, oh, the honeymoon period is over for Benitez now. Do yourselves a favour and just settle down a little bit. You've had a great start to the year. This is your first defeat in five games. You're Everton. You should be used to losing games. You've lost a lot of them over the last few years. Over the last... 35 years since you last won a league title was that 87 was it 87 or 85 I can't remember whenever Everton last won the league title they've lost a lot of league games since their fans should be well used to the feeling of losing and this is just another defeat against a good team against a team who will be in and around where you are come the end of the season you're not better than Villa you're not a bigger club than Villa you haven't bought as well as Villa. In fact, if you look at the teams, might as well do this now. Emi Martinez is by far the best goalkeeper owned by the two clubs. Maddy Cash is by far the best right-back owned by the two clubs. Ezri Cons is the best centre-back owned by the two clubs. You'd put Ben Godfrey as the other centre-back and Luca Dina as the left-back. In midfield, I think you'd go Alan and Douglas Louise, so one of each. And in attack, I think I'd go Bailey or Buendia as one wide player, Richarlison as the other wide player, and Watkins and Calvert-Lewin as the front two. So Villa would have more players in a combined eleven, in my view, than Everton would. Now, Everton have a better manager. Rafa's a better manager than Dean Smith. That's just what it is. But Everton have no right to beat Villa. And when you're missing Calvert Loon and Richarlison from that, and when you take them out and you bring in uh, Rondon, he's not getting a combined 11. Danny Ings is better than him. And as good as Damari Gray is playing at the moment, as good as uh, Townsend was against Burnley, they're not getting a combined 11. You just bring in the other one of ba- uh, Bailey or Buendia, whichever one you've left out. So in this game, the only two ever only really three Everton players who would make a combined eleven are Alan, Godfrey, who had to play right back because your squad is so weak at the moment, you've got no other right back when Coleman is out, and Coleman's not the best anymore, and Lucadini. So what do you want Benitez to do? And I saw some weird some weird fella with with a lot of fans a lot of uh, followers on twitter who writes for some website 25000 followers say that if kuman was criticized for his treatment of nias surely the time is now to talk about benitez's treatment of James rodriguez let's recap on this nias turned up for training every day Worked incredibly hard in training every day. Not my words. The words of the guys and the coaches that played and worked with him. Was delighted to be at Everton. Was so excited to have made a, a big move to a Premier League club. By all accounts, 10 out of 10 as a pro. Exactly the type of lad you want to have around. Your squad. Really positive attitude. Was he great on the pitch? No. He was alright. He wasn't a bad player. He wasn't great. He wasn't worth the money they paid. But he did nothing wrong. He didn't misbehave. He didn't step out of line. There's never any questions about his attitude. Nothing like that. Ronald Koeman made him train by himself. First he made him train with the academy. Then he made him train by himself. Took away his squad number. Took away his locker in the first team changing rooms. Wouldn't speak to him. James Rodriguez, known to have a bad attitude. Known to be incredibly lazy. Openly said he only signed for Everton to play for Carlo. Was on Twitch streams at the beginning of the season. Openly admitting, I don't know who Everton are playing this weekend. How do you not know? Has skipped a bunch of training sessions since Rafa took over. Has already been on an on a holiday since pre-season began. Is openly looking for a move and trying to force a move. Rafa hasn't said a bad word about him. Rafa continues to welcome him to training. Hasn't tried to split him up from the group. Has allowed him to go to Qatar at the moment to try and sort a move. Hamas Rodriguez doesn't want to play for Everton. He never wanted to play for Everton. He wanted to play for Carlo. Because he'd been with Carlo at Madrid. He'd gone to Bayern when Carlo was there. The only reason James Rodriguez joined Everton was to play for Carlo Ancelotti. Omar Nias joined Everton because he wanted to play for Everton. Now, look, if he'd been offered Arsenal, Tottenham, Aston Villa, Newcastle, he probably would have gone there as well. But he was delighted to go there. He was never an issue, never a problem. James has been a problem. James went on holiday the night before your final league game last season, having missed... Big splits of the season. Having gone on a holiday multiple times during the year. He didn't even stick around to support his teammates on the final day of the season. You can't compare the two. You just can't. And if you're trying, just give up. Have a day off. Next up, we have Manchester United 2, West Ham 1. Another pretty poor performance from United. It must be said they didn't play particularly well as they as they tend to do. Um, they went one 0 down to a Sa Sy- Ben Rama goal that took a massive deflection off Rafael Varane. I don't know what Varane was attempting to do. Um, but took a deflection off him and wrong-footed De Gea, found its way into the bottom corner of the net. A little bit against the run of play, you would say. United had been probably the the team more on top up to that point. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo would make it 1-1 five minutes later. His fourth goal since returning to United and his fourth goal as a result of a goalkeeping error. Uh, Really good cross from Bruno Fernandes. a, A weak shot by Cristiano. That Fabianski really should claim easily, but he spills it and Cristiano's first to react and he scores, picks the ball up, gets them back, gets them ready. Clearly, you know, pushing them on to win, which is, is really positive to see from a senior, a senior player who's going to be, ha- have to be a leader in this team. Um, from there, United were probably the better team. They had a couple of decent chances. Cristiano had a good chance that Fabianski made a good save from. West Ham just seemed a little bit flat. Maybe playing in midweek in the Europa League, as I suggested it might, maybe that's had a bit of an effect on them. Uh, Jesse Lingard would put United 2-1 up on 89. Really nicely worked goal, in fairness to him, Really nicely worked goal and a great finish into the top corner. Um, saw some City posts afterwards. One of them was, was talent. Or was it was a persevere with talent. Jesse Lingard's twenty-nine years of age. Twenty-nine years of age. This is not some young kid who who needs to be Molly Coddled. This is a a grown man who's probably at the end of his peak. Not some youngster who's just emerging now after one or two trouble seasons. Um it's a really good goal, and credit to Jesse Lingard, it's a second goal of the season. It helps him bounce back from that horror show of a pass in midweek against Young Boys, but um, his his part in the defeat to Young Boys has been overblown massively. The fault lies with the manager. Then we have the talking point, the real talking point of the game. So, credit to West Ham. Could have easily dropped their heads after the, the Lingard goal, but they don't. They go back down the other end of the field, and they win a penalty. It's a blatant handball by Luke Shaw, blocking a Yarmolenko cross. What Luke Shaw is doing, trying to appeal it or deny it, I don't know. It's as blatant a penalty as you're going to see anywhere. On the pitch, at the time, West Ham have Pablo Fernales. Declan Rice, both of whom have taken penalties in their career, both of whom are good penalty takers, and they have Jared Bowen, who's also a capable penalty taker. Now, I understand that Mark Noble isn't just a good penalty taker. He's one of the very best penalty takers in the world. I think over a 20-year stretch, I think it was from 2000 to 2020 every penalty taker in that spell who'd taken at least 30 penalties you, it, all across Europe Lewandowski had the best conversion rate and Bowen had the se- or Noble had the second best so he's not just a good penalty taker, he's he's great at it but he was sitting on the bench He wasn't coming on. He wasn't going to play in this game. And he's summoned from the bench to take a penalty. His first involvement in the game is to step up and take a penalty in the last minute against David De Gea, who has bounced back and is in pretty good form at the minute. Now, we saw in the Euros with Saka and Sancho. No. Rashford and Sancho, sorry, Rashford and Sancho. What a silly thing it is to bring players on just for the penalty shootout. Because they're cold. They're not mentally prepared for it. There's no doubting Mark Noble's mentality. But he's not in a mental position to take that penalty. He steps up. It's a good save, but it's not a particularly good penalty. It's not in the corner. It's at a good height. It's at a good place for a goalkeeper to get to fairly easy. Now, it is well struck, but it's not a good penalty. It's really poorly placed. De Gea makes a save and United win. Now, I will say United probably should have had a penalty of their own because I did think Cristiano was brought down and I did think it was a penalty, but that's neither here nor there. United get the win and they get out of there and they're happy. David Moyes has done a Pretty much flawless job at West Ham for, I would say, round about 14, 15 months now. Since they had that really good run, when he came back, they had that really good run at the end of the season. They were bad for a few months under him. They had that really good run. And from that really good run all through last season and starting this season, West Ham have been excellent. Moyes has been pretty much flawless. But this was a big error in judgment. A big, big error in judgment. Declan Rice is on the field. Fernales is on the field. Trust one of them to take that penalty. Don't bring a guy on who's cold. And again, I've seen silly, silly arguments been made on social media. Like, you know, oh, but American football kickers come on. It's completely different. That is their role. They don't do anything else. They know. They're going to come in and kick. They know that when the team calls for a field goal, they're going on to kick. It's not a surprise to them when someone turns around and goes, right, you on. That's their role. It's what they get paid for. Nothing else. They don't do anything else. And also, field goal kickers miss all the time. All the time. You know? So it's it's not the same thing at all. It's a bad move to bring someone on cold to take a penalty. And hopefully Moyes learns from that and we don't see that nonsense again. Um, Brighton 2, Leicester 1. Unsure how Brighton have won this game now, personally. They get a very, very poorly awarded penalty. Neil Mopé is fouling Yannick Vestegaard. And I'm no fan of Vestegaard. But Neil Mopé is fouling him. Vestergaard kind of flails his arm as he's falling over because Mope's dragging him down. And I think it's a Lewis Dunk header. Hits his hand. It's not a penalty. It's a free out is what it is. But somehow the referee gives a penalty. Mope steps up really well taken penalty and scores. Danny Welbeck made it two on 50. A really good header. Good cross into the box. And it's, a, it's an excellent header from Welbeck, and credit to him. Adam Lalana missed a sitter beforehand. So they could have actually been 3-0 up. But Leicester looked the more threatening team. Um, Leicester would get one back through Vardy. And then they'd have two goals disallowed. The Vardy goal is excellent. It's a really good build-up play. Um, it's a lovely cross from Tielemans, and it's a great finish from Vardy. I think it's his 150th hundred and fiftieth goal in the Premier League or one hundred and fiftieth goal for Leicester It's not overly important, but I would like to be at least somewhat informed about that, which I waffle about um it's his one hundred and fiftieth goal for Leicester City in three hundred and fifty nine games, so not not a bad return. you know he's had a couple of fairly average seasons um but all things considered Jamie Vardy has been a consistent goal scorer for quite a while now uh, having moved to Leicester from conference uh, conference league fleetwood town um you might have heard that story before that Jamie Vardy was playing non league in Leicester bottom so it's a good underdog story um no credit to vardy he's he's look, he's been a consistent premier league player now for Six years, his first season he was fairly mediocre. But since then, you know, he's been really, really good, really consistent. The 16-17 seven, season, I think he struggled a little bit with the expectations. But aside from that, he's always been he's always been very good for them. He gets the goal. Then they get two goals disallowed. um, And unfortunately for Harvey Barnes, both of them are because he's offside. Now, the first one, the first one he's offside. And it's a blatant off, so he's blocking the keeper's view. So that's fine. The second one, he's not really interfering with play as the ball makes contact with the attacker who heads it towards goal. But what he did do was he kind of gave the goalkeeper a little bit, sh- a little bit of a shove beforehand, and I think that might be what they blew him for. So it's unfortunate for him because he played quite well in the game, and I is a player that I do like. But for Leicester, they have to feel a little bit unfortunate. A little bit unfortunate because, you know, it's a dodgy penalty from Mope and the two goal, two late goals disallowed. Um, it hasn't been a good start of the year for Leicester, though. They sit 12th, two wins from five. And unlike Watford, they won't view that as a good start. They'd rather have, you know, three wins from five or four wins from five, which is what they should expect expect, having been the fifth best team in the Premier League over the previous two seasons, and for much of both of those seasons, one of the two or three best teams in the league. Um, it just hasn't gone well for them. And he, like, there's even a stroke of fortune in the wins they got, because Wolves missed a bunch of chances. Adama Traore, most guilty there. They got walloped by Leicester. They got very fortunate against sorry got walloped by West Ham got very fortunate against Norwich and probably didn't deserve that win this might be the karma from that game um, where they Norwich had that late goal disallowed and then they got beaten by City their champion their Europa League campaign didn't start particularly well 2-2 drawed home to, to Napoli and now this defeat so look Roger's going to have to get things turned around quickly if they're going to compete for top four again. That has to be the ambition. The way they've backed it. But they're now six points behind Brighton. who Brighton sit fourth. Four wins from five. I, it's the surprise story of the season so far. They came back against Burnley. Showed real resolve in that game. Came back and won it. Beat Watford. Lost at home to Everton. And that could have derailed them a little bit, but they came back and beat Brentford with that late goal. Shows the value of continue going to the end. Uh, and then they beat Leicester. And the the nonsensical argument that was made last week, comparing Steve Bruce and Graham Potter, uh, that I I dismissed or I felt I dismissed quite well. Um, it just looks even more foolish now. They're fourth in the league after five games. That's five games. It's 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 nothing really. But for Brighton to have won four of the first five games is is pretty impressive. Because it's not like they've played bad teams. They've played, you know, middling teams. But they've played a really good team in Leicester and gotten a victory. And they should be really, really happy with how the season's going so far. Tougher tests to come. But all things considered, it's a great start to the season for, uh, for Brighton. And, and long may it continue. Uh, final game then. Tottenham nil. Chelsea three. I thought the first half was really even. I thought Tottenham had a couple of half decent chances, Sun had the best one. But all things considered it was a fairly even first half. I liked how Spurs set up. I would have preferred to see Delielli play that bit more advanced with Lo Celso that bit deeper, but I thought LaCelso Lo looked good, and Belly looked good, Romero looked good till he got tired. I don't know why Eric Dyer was on the pitch. He got hurt last week. He's clearly not fit. He's clearly not very good, but maybe it was because they knew Romero didn't have nine. Uh, didn't have ninety minutes in him. Um, yeah, first half quite even. Good game of football. Second half, Chelsea went up a level and Spurs dropped a level. Um, Thiago Silva put Chelsea one up after forty nine minutes with a header from a from a corner. If it's anyone other than Delhi le marking him if it's someone who's you know a, a better defensive presence, a better attacker of the ball in the air, I don't think he scores. It's not a great leap from Silva. He kind of looks like he's struggling to jump over a phone book at this point, but he jumps highest, gets the header. it's a powerful header and a really really good header. um Gary Neville needs to stop calling him Tiago. His name is Tiago Silva. If you want to call him by one name, call him Silva, the only Tiago in the league. Who goes by Thiago is Thiago Alcantara at Liverpool. There's a reason Thiago Silva has T Silva on the back of his jersey because he goes by Silva uh, or Thiago Silva, but not Thiago, never Thiago. And um, Golo Cante made a two. lot of luck involved in this goal. Shot from the edge of the area. Massive deflection off Eric Dyer and wrong foot's Hugo Lloris. Lloris had made a couple of really good saves to that point. You did feel a little bit uh, a little bit hard, he, that he was a little bit hard done by. Um, Antonio Rudiger made it three on 92 minutes. Good work from Timo Werner, must be said, and a good set-up, and, and a good finish by Rudiger, belying the fact that he is, in fact, a centre-back. So for Tottenham, uh, three wins from five games, nine points, they sit seventh. It's not perfect. There was a lot of Unrest, I think, yesterday towards Nuno. I think some of it undeserved. The second half was a little bit of a concern. They looked tired quite quickly, which is worrying. Now A lot of that comes from the fact of how Mourinho trains players. Because if you remember when United got ollie after Jose, one of the big things he had to work on was players being able to last 90 minutes. Because Mourinho doesn't demand much from his players in terms of you know massive, immense pressing. He likes to be nice and compact and and hit teams in the counter. Um, Nuno demands a lot more from his team in terms of pressing. And players just at the minute aren't fully there yet. But they'll get there. They will get there. They won three in a row. They've lost two in a row. This is what Spurs are going to be. They're going to be uneven. They're going to have runs and streaks where they look good and they look bad. That's just what the fans are going to have to get used to this season. It's year one under a new manager. You have to have some patience. For Chelsea... They go top of the league. um, I believe by. It has to be by alphabetical order because. Chelsea and Liverpool have played five. Both have won four and drawn one. That was the game with each other. They both have 13 points. They both scored 12 goals. And they've only conceded one goal. And again, that was to each other. So. Maybe it's the fact that Chelsea got an away draw. I, I don't I don't actually know why Chelsea are listed as the number as you know, position one, other than the fact that it's alphabetical. Now if if anybody knows why, send it to me, let me know. But it's it's funny. You look at the results thus far this season. Opening day, both of them win three nil. Liverpool play um play Norwich, Chelsea play Crystal Palace in the first game of the season. Okay, so it, at the yeah, Guy says at the moment it is alphabetical. If it finished with this exactly the same and all the head-to-head and everything the same, it would go to a playoff between the two teams. Um, Second game of the season, Chelsea beat Arsenal 2-0. Uh, Romelu Lukaku having quite a bit of fun in on that one. Liverpool beat Burnley 2-0. Then they play out a 1-1 draw. Then Liverpool beat Leeds 3-0. While the same weekend, Chelsea beat Aston Villa 3-0. Then Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 3-0. And Chelsea beat Tottenham 3-0. It's the first time in Premier League history that two teams have made exactly the same start over five games. Exactly the same start. Exactly the same results each weekend. Uh, Chelsea have had I would say a harder Schedule of games so far um, And a credit to them they, They've been very very impressive As of Liverpool and right now They do look the two best teams in the league Now, United also have 13 points They've had an easier schedule than both and They haven't looked particularly good in a number of the games Didn't look good against uh, Southampton Did not look good at all against Wolves And should have lost that game Looked poor for a long stretch against Newcastle And again look Look poor for a stretch of this game But they're winning and that's all you can really ask them to do uh, Gary Neville did recently try and claim that the Premier League Is the four best teams in the world right now uh, City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester United Tried to sneak United in there as if none of us had noticed uh, Bayern Munich would wipe the floor with United I think PSG would beat them as well um, And I think Erling Haaland would absolutely massacre them But Dortmund's defence is not particularly good But there's no question that Bayern Munich are one of the four best teams in the world right now. And any suggestion that United are better than Bayern Munich is is made only in the the fantasy mind of Gary Neville, where he also thinks Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest footballer of all time. Um, Last thing before we finish up, my good friend and yours, the man of the hour, Gareth Crooks, with his team of the week. And it is particularly tragic this week. Now, he's picked David De Gea. Um, He made two saves and then he saved a fairly comfortable penalty. Uh, Not sure how you could pick him over either of the guys that played on Friday night. Melier and Darlow, both substantially better. Uh, Matty Cash at right back, don't really have a problem with it. Um, There wasn't really a standout right back performance this weekend. Cash did score, so that's fine. He went with Christopher Ayer, uh, who who had a good game for Brentford, must be said, and Gabriel, uh, who had a decent game for Arsenal. Don't really have a problem with either of those. But he picked Thiago Silva at left-back. He went 4-3-3 and picked Thiago Silva at left-back. Marcus Alonso was excellent for Chelsea. Excellent. Arguably the best player for stretches of the game. Thiago Silva played well, but if you're going to pick him, pick him at centre-back. If you're going to pick a left-back from Chelsea, it has to be Marcus Alonso. Uh, In midfield, he picked James Milner. James Milner didn't play in midfield. He played right-back. And he was 6 out of 10. He had some nice stats. Lots of the ball. Won some tackles. Committed five fouls. Should have been yellow-carded a couple of times. But he had a decent game. Saw some strange claims he was man of the match. Not even slightly. But he had a decent game. But he wasn't team of the week good. And to have him in midfield is ridiculous. He picked Kovacic. No problem. He played very well against Spurs. He picked Jesse Lingard. I know he scored, but Jesus wept. He picked Mane. Mane didn't play well. He scored. He didn't play well. Ivan Tony and Ishmael Assar, I don't mind at all. But Mane, Lingard, Milner, Silva and De Gea are dreadful inclusions. Absolutely dreadful inclusions. Proof once again that Gark Crooks does not watch games. He watches match of the day. Or he listens on the radio. He doesn't watch games at all. That'll do me for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your support. Please do tell your friends. Trying to build some numbers here. Thanks to Guy Drinkle, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.